0: Good morning on this Palm Sunday, and we are here. We are in the final week, Holy Week, the final week of our Lenten season, and it's strange because we have gotten to celebrate part of the season face-to-face, but it seems like the majority of the season has been face-to-screen. It's been at a distance. It's not been here together, and so there's a sadness to it, but there's also been a great opportunity. And one of the opportunities that I have experienced as a pastor is people reaching out and asking questions about some of the symbols that we use and some of the things we talk about and why we use them. And it's such a great opportunity for us as the church to share our faith because we often do things that we don't bother to explain because to us, they're just what we do. So Palm Sunday is one of those things. So Palm Sunday is the first day of what we call Holy Week. And Holy Week is monumental to our faith. The reason being, I'll share some statistics, right? That's, that sounds like fun. <laughs> 31% of Mark's account of the gospel, Mark is our oldest account, 31% of Mark's gospel account takes place during Holy Week. It begins on Palm Sunday and ends with an empty tomb. 31%, almost a third so of all the life of jesus from birth to death the last week gets most of the attention in matthew's gospel the gospel we will read from today this final week accounts for 25 percent of the total gospel so a quarter of the story is a week now luke's a little different the actual week is about 16 percent of the gospel however early in luke's gospel at chapter nine it says that jesus turns toward jerusalem and it's from that point in the gospel account that jesus begins making his way to jerusalem and he arrives on this palm sunday and so 66 percent of luke's gospel is all about heading to jerusalem for this final week and then the gospel of john it's 36 percent of the entire gospel of jesus life and actually john begins all the way at the beginning the beginning beginning is all this final week. All that to say that 40% of our gospel narrative, if we were to count up the chapters total and count up the chapters that have to do with this holy week, 40% is all about this one week. Today marks the beginning of this monumental week, which is why we celebrate. And it's called Palm Sunday because we're going to hear stories about them waving palms. And so it becomes a practice. We do that now. We don't get to do it today. And that's really sad. But we are going to look forward to the time where we can do it again. Um, And we'll hold on to that if we don't mind for this weird and strange time. Um, All that to say, this entire gospel account and, and the final week... It's incredibly important to the whole Jesus event. And so it's good for us to focus in and really take our time with this week, because what happens, especially in the gospel account we call Matthew, is everything gets shaken up. Everything gets shaken up. And I'm going to dive into that a little more because our theme for Holy Week is going to be shaking things up. And the reason for that is there's a, a Greek word and the verb form of, of this idea of shaking is Sio Sio is, is what happens when something's shaken up. And then seismos is an earthquake is an event. And so, you probably heard of a seismograph, which measures earthquakes, comes from this word, this idea, seismos. And so, it appears five times in the Gospel of Matthew. And when we see a word like this, it's important for us to focus in on why this word and why these five times. Now, again and again in the Hebrew Bible, when God shows up or when God directly arrives to speak and be present with the people, there's always a seismos, a shaking, and so, there's an echo here in the gospel account of this. So five times it is, I'll run through those real quick. So Matthew eight, Jesus calms a storm on the sea. The word for the storm is seismos. It's a storm, a tumultuous event. Jesus calms it. And that's crucial because only God has ever calmed the waters. So Jesus does, which says something about his identity. And then in Matthew 21 today, we're going to hear the word seismos, and we'll get to that in a moment. And then we're going to hear in Matthew 24, if you go on to read 24, we hear the word seismos and an earthquake when the full coming of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, and this changing of ages, it's all church talk. The idea is that everything that's been happening is leading up to a particular goal, this telos, And this goal is what things are leading up to. And at that point, that goal is reached and a new thing begins. And so it's not just one particular moment. It's a time of this changing. And so Jesus is here to usher in the new age, the new reign of God. And so we are in the midst of the beginning of the ushering in, but it has not yet been completed. And so we reside in this time. And it's described in this apocalyptic discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 as a seismos. Now, apocalyptic, I know the movies turns it into something else, but it's a particular type of literature that was written in the day of Jesus that talks about the cosmological reality. So we know of all the things we see, like this lectern I can see and this robe I can see, but there are many things that are unseen, and we feel that in what we call the spiritual world, this this idea where God and the spirit exist in the cosmos of good and evil and these He's large scale. Anyway, Jesus says, as those shifts occur on this cosmos scale, there's going to be seismos. That's a really long explanation. Matthew 27, as war will come to on Friday when Jesus dies on the cross and there's an earthquake, a seismos. And then on Matthew 28, when the angel comes and rolls away the stone to reveal the empty tomb, there is a seismos. Five times this is used. Five times it is an incredibly crucial moment. Seismos, God is speaking in presence. And our question is, what is God saying? What does it mean? What are we to learn from this presence and speaking? Now, the unique placement of this is always when things get shaken up. And so we should expect the same. And you might ask, so what is it about this week that begins and ends with this shaking? And I say, oh, where do I begin? We begin on Palm Sunday. And so before we read the passage, okay, I'm just gonna nerd out. I'm gonna go a little longer today so you can pause it and take a breath or fast forward if you don't want to have anything to do with this. But I want to give some history behind the passage we're going to read because the passage is just packed full of all these illusions that reference back to things that happened in Israel's history. And if you don't know all the illusions, you're gonna miss a lot of what the passage is trying to say. So Are you ready? You buckled in. Okay, now we're gonna shake things up. Palm Sunday occurs at the beginning of the week before Passover. Passover is a time in Jerusalem of great celebration. It's a time that the Jewish people come and retell the story of their liberation from Egypt. When God came and Moses came and the plagues came and then they were released. And before they were released, they had a final meal and they were told to remember this final meal and to practice it year after year to remember that God saved them and that God saves them. Us. And so what happens is everyone comes to Jerusalem. And so this town that's only about 40,000 people normally swells to 200,000, five times the size for a week. So the question of where do people eat and sleep and where do people get food? Where do they get the animals to do their sacrifice? It puts a huge stress on the city. It's a wonderful time, but it is incredibly stressful and a bit chaotic. Everyone's excited just for Passover itself. But if we go to this Passover, when Jesus arrives, there's a lot more happening. So Rome came and started occupying the land in first century BC or before common era is how we might say it. And Rome continued to be in the land until about 70 CE, actually longer than that, but what happened in 67 to 70 CE or AD, however you say it, was there was a revolt between Israel and Rome. So Matthew's gospel takes place, is written right after that revolt. It takes place in this middle part when Jesus is here, but the whole thing is just saturated with this tension between Rome and Israel because Israel is once again, more or less a slave to a foreign enemy. And so Passover, as people tell the story, they're also longing for God to act again. And different groups of Israelites are operating with this kind of narrative in different ways. So there are the Zealots. They are a particular group of people that are mainly in the hills of Galilee, and they have swords. So what they do in kind of a guerrilla warfare is when Romans are around, they'll sneak down, kill some Romans, attack them, and then flee back up to the hills. And so they're kind of a nuisance, a pest. And they believe that picking up the sword and fighting, just like the Maccabees did, and just a couple of centuries prior, which I'll get to the Maccabees in a moment, the Zealots think that it's through fighting. Now there's the Sadducees. They're a group of Jewish Uh, people that are in charge of the temple. And so they do do the sacrifice and all the priestly services in the temple. And so they're in charge of that whole system, money changing and selling and doing of animals and then coming and, and they operate the whole temple system. And they've made a lot of compromise with Rome so that Rome didn't shut them down. They wanted to be able to practice their faith. And so in an effort to kind of save Judaism, they made lots of compromises that many people found to be sacrilegious. So that's the Sadducees. Then there are the Pharisees, which you may have heard of them before. They were a group of people who believed that everyone should be pure. They should follow the Levitical purity code and the book of Leviticus back in one of the books of Moses that has all these rules for what you're supposed to do. Their mindset was that because people were not pure and truly worshiping God at all times in every way they could, that they'd become a rebellious people. And time and time again, when Israel's been rebellious... They've been taken over by a foreign enemy. So in their minds, we need to get back to being pure. We need to get back to the tradition. We need to get rid of all this sinful way. And it's the sinner's faults that we're in this situation. And so they don't eat with sinners. They won't have anything to do with them. But they're constantly telling the people that they need to learn to be pure. So they're there waiting in this time of Passover. Then there's just the common mass of people who've come to sacrifice and be a part of the festivities and to tell the story. And some of them are searching for the Messiah. They're awaiting the time when God will liberate them once again through another king like David. Because long ago, this great king named David had come to power and then basically fought all the foreign powers in the land and drove them out and established Israel as this great land. And God made a covenant with David that as long as people are my people, there will be a descendant of yours on the throne, which of course Israel rebelled and went a different way. And they haven't had a Davidic king for a long time. So they're waiting. And some prophets had said, oh, on the Mount of Olives, the Davidic king will come. And so they might've, as they walked into the city for that Passover, just glanced to the east to see if they might have caught a glimpse of the Davidic king in the beginning of God doing something new. Are you keeping up with all that's happening at this time? Now, given the quintupling of people, given all these various groups, and given this kind of heightened tension with Rome, there is one person that has come onto the scene to make sure that there is no rebellion or revolution. And that person's name is Pontius Pilate. He's a governor of Rome. He represents Caesar and therefore represents all of Rome. And he has come from the west, from the area of Caesarea where he lived, has entered into the gates of Jerusalem and has settled in Herod's palace within the city walls. And so as as Pilate came in to be sure to put down any sort of hint at a rebellion or revolution, no doubt he came in from the West on a horse, a war horse, powerful as he wouldn't have walked all that way. And he was probably surrounded by lots of Roman soldiers to make it clear to the 200,000 people that were there who is in charge it's rome caesar is in charge pontius pilate represents caesar pontius pilate is in charge a heightened situation and then our passage today is going to describe a scene that comes not from the west but from the east an entirely different scene about to unfold But before we get to that scene, let me give you some history on that particular passage. So we've set the stage of the current day, awaiting the arrival. Now, let me give you some history to what's about to happen. So there's something called the Maccabean Revolt, the family the Maccabees. This happened in second century BCE, okay? Now in, in the many line of oppressive foreign nations that had ruled over Israel, there was one that was particularly cruel. That was a, a Greek dynasty. And they were led by a man named Antiochus called Epiphanes. Epiphanes means God manifest. This guy thought really highly of himself. And so they had ruled over Israel. They had gone into the temple. They had basically torn down the stuff to God and they had set up their own altars and they have just you know, defiled. The temple and had made life miserable for Israel and so in 167 BCE a particular man of the family Maccabee rose up and started a revolt and people followed him and he rose up with the sword and fought and for three years they fought until they finally had victory and the days of Antiochus Epiphanes ended and so it's recorded in a book that's not in our Protestant Bible, but you can find a good Catholic Bible or find an apocrypha and read it. It's a really fascinating story. And I'm going to read from 2 Maccabees chapter 10 verses 1 through 9. And it reads, you don't follow this because you're going to hear a lot of familiar things. The Maccabee and his companions with the Lord leading them recovered the temple and the city Jerusalem. They demolished the altars that the foreigners built near the marketplace, as well as the sacred precincts. They cleansed the temple and made another altar. Then they struck flints to make fire, and they offered up sacrifices after a lapse of two years. And they prepared incense, lamps, and the sacred loaves. After they had done these things, they bowed to the ground and pleaded with the Lord that they would not experience such misfortunes again. But if they should ever sin, they would be disciplined by the Lord with fairness and not turned over to slanderous and barbaric nations. On the anniversary of the temple's defilement by foreigners, on that very day, the sanctuary was purified on the 25th of the month, which is Kislev. They celebrated eight days with cheer in a manner like the festival of booths. Remembering how during the previous festival of booths, they had been roaming about in mountains and caverns like animals in the midst of the fight. So they held ivy wands, beautiful branches, and also palm leaves, and offered hymns to the one who had made the purification of his own temple possible. They voted and issued a public decree that all Jews should celebrate these days each year. And so the matters concerning Antiochus called Epiphanes... Maybe some familiarity in that story. And if it's not, if this is new for you, well, then you're going to hear the echoes in Matthew in just a moment. But also in the Matthew passage is quoted from Psalm and Zechariah. And so Psalm 118, which was used for the beginning of the festival of booths, when the king would arrive and prepare the altar similar to what you heard. This would come from the middle of that Psalm 25 and verse 25 and 26 This line, which you'll hear today. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So the way that you might cry out, save us, we pray, or save us, we beseech you, is one word in Aramaic, the the spoken Hebrew language, which is Hosanna, Hosanna. And that's a word we use on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, because we echo the Matthew passage, which echoes the Psalm passage. The prophet Zechariah also is used in the Matthew passage. Um, Zechariah spoke of the great long awaited Davidic king descending from the Mount of Olives from the east of Jerusalem, coming down the Mount of Olives to then enter up into Jerusalem and to be riding on the colt of a donkey, not a war horse, but a baby donkey the ultimate symbol of humility and peace. All these images, all these stories, this history, the Maccabees and Zechariah and Psalm, the people knew these. And again, might be looking up to the Mount of Olives, just wondering if this might be the year. And so with all this history in our minds, with all this understanding of the context in which Jesus lived and worked, in which this was written, we come to the Passover scene today from Matthew 21 one through seventeen. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this: The Lord needs them, and He will send them immediately." This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did, and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and the whole town is in turmoil, it says. The word, Seismos, or Siso, shaken up. Jesus shook things up, all right. Not just that day, but in the whole week and everything that we know in this week, this holy week, everything was shaken up for all of life. And Jesus comes in, with these evoked messianic images. The entire scene is making a statement to the whole city, the gathering of the cult and and the donkey as Matthew tells the story, the laying down of cloaks and of branches. It all says that God has arrived through God's Messiah, Jesus, the Davidic King. God is on the scene, God is present. And when God arrives, it shakes things up as it always has, as it always will. For the first time in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus has shown up on the scene exactly for who he is. So what I mean by that is if we go to the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 1:1, it makes the statement that this is Jesus who is the Messiah, who is the son of David, son of Abraham, and then it goes into the genealogy. It tells exactly who he is, but then for the remainder of the story, it's, it's kind of elusive what his identity is. The question is asked, are, are you a son of David? Who are you exactly? What kind of man is this? The people ask, King Herod asks, the disciples ask. People want to know, who is this? But now, the people, the crowds that have been following him for a while, are shouting his identity and proclaiming it boldly by the throwing of their coats and branches and by yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. They're making it clear who they understand Jesus to be. Now, they're welcoming the king who will deliver them, who will reclaim their temple for God, just like many have done before, who will deliver a death to the political and religious system that is built upon exclusion, greed, and a thirst for power that oppresses those who are already beaten down, that compromises with the worldly ways. They are celebrating the king who will stand up for them to the oppressors. It's just that he doesn't do any of these things the way they expect. And they're at a loss eventually. He doesn't come to conquer the way that they might expect a king to come and conquer. He comes to serve and to submit. He doesn't come with a proclamation of power as the world knows it, to put on display this greatness as we might expect it, but rather it's peace and humility and a message for all people. It turns out that these things, as Jesus brings them, are the actual power and way of God. And the first thing he does as he begins this festival time and echoing all that we know from the histories, he cleanses the temple. He prepares it for this time. He restores the house of God. Now, all the people around are seeing these things and they come to him and they're they're cured. And they know his identity. They call him by the son of David. They're, they're Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying it right. They think they know what it means. But as we come to find out later in the week, they don't understand it the way that God wants them to, needs them to, calls them to. Their faith will be tested. And so the question hangs over the scene. Will they be able to let go of their expectations? Will they be able to rethink Are they willing to repent all of it? Questions for another day? Because today is Palm Sunday. And so today it's about celebration, celebrating that God has come through Jesus the Messiah, come to shake things up. And we celebrate this day because we are invited to join in to the celebration. We don't just tell the story, we join in to the story. So God's promise has always been to be faithful and to redeem and restore Israel. That's, that's been the promise from the beginning. And God has done that again and again. And Passover, this time of what they've all gathered for in this city, is to tell that story. And they don't tell the story of something that happened. They tell the story of something that happens. And so they tell the story, they eat that meal, the same one that Moses ate with the Israelites long ago, and they retell the story, but they say things like, God redeemed us, led us out of Egypt, because they're claiming that they are part of that. And they also then tell about how God redeems them here and now, how God is still working. And so to truly grasp the story and to dive in as we are invited to do, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we ready to be shaken up because we will if we truly seek to be a part of this story. So amidst COVID-19, amidst economic seismos, amidst political seismos, amidst our quarantine and our wonderings about when it's gonna end, amidst our doubts and our faith, because we have both. And it'll go a lot better for you if you can admit that. (laughs) Amidst our joy and our fear, because we have both. Amidst our complete lack of control. Amidst our ever-growing awareness that we on the whole globe are all in this together because we're experiencing this nightmare together as one group of people. Amidst our canceled proms and graduations, and you high school and college students, I am so sorry that you are losing out on these wonderful, wonderful benchmark moments to celebrate Amidst canceled vacation plans for all the families who had great memories planned, who've been planning for years, maybe, and that's not gonna happen. But my friends, amidst all of that, God leads us into the holy week that we might be shaken up once more for the sake of the kingdom of God, which Jesus ushers in, for the sake of experiencing life that we might all, all of us, as one humanity might experience fullness of life and salvation in Jesus name. Just like COVID-19 comes no matter what your age or your race, what your gender or your sexuality or your political leanings or your creed, COVID-19 doesn't care. The kingdom of God makes no discrimination and makes, it simply offers itself to all without any care for labels. And it's good for us to understand that in this holy week, and that might shake us up right there. The way of God doesn't arrive as we would think in some way that's only for some. It arrives not in a conquering venture ready to lay down the, the fist of power. It comes on a cult, the foal of a donkey, the most humble image of peace you could muster. Do we think we already have what we need in life? Are we there? Have we arrived? Have we experienced the full shift into life? Or are we ready to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, save us, we pray, because we still have a ways to go. Are we ready for the arrival of God in Jerusalem with the fullness of identity on display? Are we ready for Jesus to come and shake things up, to shake us up, to bring Seismos and Siso You might say to yourself, well, you know, if I had been there, if I had been in Jerusalem at this time, I would have followed him. I would have been right at the foot of the cross. He might just be as confident as Peter was. I'm never going to leave. I wouldn't have done that. Friends, this is your opportunity to enter into the story and to be a part of this. We might think that we would have responded differently. And here's our chance to find out. We have our expectations too, don't we? We have what we think we know. We have what we think is certain about what Jesus' identity means and what his presence means for us and what it means for all the world and our neighbor and even the people that we might think are so far beyond the reach or the people that we think are excluded. We have our expectations too. Are we ready to be shaken up? We have our own desire to know Why things are happening the way they're happening. What what does COVID-19 mean? And we're ready to follow leaders and people who are gonna give us those answers. My friends, are you ready to be shaken up? And we have our own ideas of who Jesus is and what it means. But are we really ready for the holy shaking that's about to begin in our final week of Lent? Today, on Palm Sunday, we'll get to Easter, it's coming. But today... Let us join into the celebration. Let us experience the seismos that is offered when we begin to wonder, is there more that God wishes to say to us today? Let us experience the climax of this most important piece of the gospel accounts. Let us walk through each day of Holy Week for what that day brings without rushing to the end. And let us enter into this Holy shaking up, led by Jesus Christ. My friends, let us pray. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your love and your power through Jesus Christ, our son of David, our king. Help us to proclaim him and to know that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Help us to put our faith not in any other system or kingdom, not in any other person or way, not in any, realm of conquering and power as sometimes we find ourselves thirsting for. Help us to quiet ourselves, to be humble. Let us experience the cleansing of our souls, the cleansing of our lives, of our minds, of our hearts, of our worlds, of our understandings. Lord, shake us up. Amen.